Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone. This is Jessica Van, founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group and host of your podcast, Reach. And today I am thrilled to welcome Cynthia Gilday in the studio with us. Hi, Cynthia. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I really, really, really appreciate you making time for this conversation. My pleasure. So Cynthia is an executive and personal assistant to well, for the last several years, uh, to private principals and ultra high net worth individuals. But prior to that part of your career, you've also worked for CEOs and C-suite executives within the world of tech and startup. We recently placed Cynthia in a new position. So the topic of salary negotiation is one that is really particularly fresh and top of mind for her. And that's exactly what we're going to be discussing in today's episode. It's really focused around everything that you as a professional and candidate need to know about salary negotiation, particularly from the vantage point of being a female executive assistant. We understand that any conversation around money may make you want to crawl under a table or just avoid it altogether. And statistically speaking, this is especially true for women. In fact, there's a book called Women Don't Ask, Negotiation and the Gender Divide. Um, Men tend to initiate negotiations about four times more often than women do. 20% of adult women, that's 22 million, say they never even negotiate at all, even though they recognize how important negotiation is and often how appropriate it is. Women are more pessimistic about how much is available when they do negotiate, so they typically ask for and get less than when they do negotiate, on average 30% less than men. And my personal favorite, when picked to pick metaphors for the process of negotiating, men often say things like, oh, it's like winning a ball game or a wrestling match. While women will say things like, negotiating feels like going to the dentist. (laughs) I I particularly love that one. So Cynthia is here today, as we've talked about, representing what is arguably a dicey and, and challenging topic for many. And it's also one that I think so many of us really seek out advice for. So tell us, how did you learn to confidently ask for what you want and what you feel is really commensurate and appropriate for your experience level? Well, it was definitely a learning process, um, and it didn't come natural at all. So I would have to say, it to keep it simple, I'll, I'll name three steps. So first, I had to get really comfortable talking about money, like having the general money conversation. And the way that I did that was the second step, which is practice it a lot. And the third part, I think, is just having some self-awareness, thinking about the visceral reactions, like the the feelings that you have when you are talking about money. 
I think when you gave the analogy of going to the dentist, we all could relate. You know, we our heart beats faster. It's something that we dread. Um, our mouths might get dry. You're having these physical reactions when you're just even considering having a conversation. So you you have this embedded fear that could hold you from having confidence in the future. And that's why practicing step number one, which is getting comfortable about having the money conversation in the first place, and step number two, which is practicing over and over again, having simple conversations with your family. It doesn't have to be super um, technical or uncomfortable conversations. It could even be something about the gas prices coming up and or how what your strategies are for saving for a special vacation. Just mm-hmm. talk about money and get used to talking about it. I I, I would agree with you. And I'm, I'm just thinking back on my own childhood <laughs> discussions around money and, and upbringing and, and really, you know, what's what what you're conditioned and normalized to believe is appropriate or good etiquette or, you know, whatever the case may may have been in your own household. And I know for myself, and it was just straight up rude to talk about certain things. Certain things were just sort of off, you know, unmentionable. I was considered rude to ask, you know, oh my gosh, what is, what does a house like this cost? Or how much money does your mom make or dad make? It was just, it's sort of like this taboo thing. And yet um, many of us come from households and families and environments where that's not, it's considered inappropriate. And yet fast forward, as adults, we're in careers and, you know, in these, in these driver's seats where we actually have to really quickly get comfortable and make something that has historically been rendered taboo, not taboo. And I think that's a big ask for a lot of people if you've spent the majority of your life being told that something is not really something that should be openly discussed. Yeah, I agree 100% with you. It's it is around your fundamental belief, you know, around money and it's how you were raised and typically there's guilt and shame and judgment and you know those are common emotions that you would feel when discussing money. But let's take the emotions out of it and let's not make it personal and consider the data. Like baseball players, their contracts are discussed all the time on, you know, national television. It's it's a data point. And I think that's what we have to start to consider is that it's um, it's a piece of data. It's information that we need to use and focus on that and remove the emotion from the re- equation. Focus on the facts. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and I think too um removing that being aware that there may be this um, sort of inner voice that's encouraging you to, to, or that's suggesting that you need to have this humility or that it's inappropriate or whatever. And, and just kind of, as you said, you know, silencing that and, and really focusing on what are, what is, what are the facts? What are the hard numbers? What is the truth here? So going back to this, this conversation, you know, did negotiating, always come naturally to you? Not at all. Not even close. No, in fact, I think some of the the biggest mistakes I made were not negotiating at all because I was terrified of it. 
I, I learned, you know, that a closed mouth doesn't get fed. So you have to at least ask, even if your voice is shaking like crazy, you have to put yourself out there and it starts with understanding what your worth and value is. Do you remember the first time that you negotiated something on, on your own behalf? I do. Um, and it wasn't that long ago. It was maybe probably less than 10 years ago. I had a, a an offer that I considered a very low ball offer. And I internally was upset. I was almost offended that um, someone would not offer me what I felt I was worth and what my work had um, provided in the past. So I, instead of being angry, I just thought, okay, I need to have this conversation. Like, let's not be insulted. Let's take the emotion out of it. And um, I had this conversation with this future employer. And I, I think it brought about a lot of mutual respect. And, and she offered me 60000 more. Wow. Wow. And did you respond to her in the moment? Or did you kind of take some time to yourself to formulate your, your response? Oh, it was definitely nothing that I did immediately. Okay. Because emotions got in the way. I, I at first was insulted and upset and I couldn't believe it. And, um, and then I came to my senses <laughs> and realized, okay, this is, this is what I need to do. And this is how I need to approach this because I, you know, it was a job that I was interested in and um, I thought I could bring value to, and I had to, um, put on my big girl panties Yep. And uh, have that tough conversation. Yeah. Well, and that's the interesting thing, right? Is that as uncomfortable as it may make someone feel to negotiate, let's consider the flip side. How uncomfortable would it make you feel to work or accept a situation that you know is somehow beneath you or not commensurate with the value that you bring? I wouldn't have been happy. You know, I would, the work I'd be happy with, but then I would always have this aching feeling under underlying every moment of every day that I, I wasn't being compensated right. in a way that I should be. Right. And I think that is, especially in a, in a new relationship, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but it's sort of the formula for, for resentment, right? If, if you are going into a situation already feeling that it's not where you should be or that others may have more than you do and that's not equitable. It, it's already setting setting the tone and tenor of the relationship in such a way that it's, it's kind of um, marred already, you know? So I'm with you. You don't ask, you don't get. Closed right. mouths don't get fed. I could not <laughs> agree with you more. So how, in your opinion, should an executive assistant prepare for the negotiation conversation? I think it starts with educating yourself, you know, understanding what a total compensation package really includes. You know, is there stock options? Is there 401k? What's the match on the 401k? 
Um, I think the biggest part of uh, that is understanding your base because your base is a driver. Your base salary is going to determine in the future every annual increase. It'll determine every annual bonus. And it also determines how much uh, you'll get as a match towards your 401k. So you really need to have a deep understanding of your base. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you start off at 100,000 a year and your annual bonus is 15%. Um, You get a cost of living increase of maybe 6%. So your total package, you know, might be 115,000 a year. Um, If you ask for that 115 initially, your bonus automatically goes up to, let's see, $17,250, right? Like your bonus has already increased. Your package increases to $134,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a huge difference just by understanding what a compensation package is made up of and um, what your base salary really means. And I think the second part is knowing your market value. You know, what is your true worth? And the way you go about that is talk to other EAs. You don't have to necessarily talk about salary. You could talk about what are their responsibilities? How big is their team? What's their superpower? You know, what's the one skill that sets them apart from other EAs? And then start to put put that package together for yourself. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's really sound advice. I um. I think there's a, a lot of resources out there. And to your point about tapping in to the broader network, there's lots of salary aggregators and, you know, certainly um, articles and, and, and content, media content you can get a hold of. But I think too, and this is, you know, not meant to be self-serving, but here we go. You know, a lot of a lot of recruiting firms do um, will put together compensation guides and, and compensation studies, and, and in fact, like we're we're hopefully going to finish ours in the next month or so, um, and make that available. But but recruiting firms in particular have a really 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 good geographic pulse because you know sometimes um, some of these national aggregators. Um, especially for roles like the ones that you do, Cynthia, where they are very niche. And, you know, what an executive assistant working for the Silicon Valley elite commands in terms of compensation is very different than what an executive assistant in Minneapolis working for a CEO commands, right? They're just, they're really, really different. So I think there's a lot of um, geographic sensitivity to executive assistant comp. Um, So I think if you, if you, are looking for that too. It, it makes sense to talk to maybe a, a local, uh, a recruiting firm that has a local presence or, or a really strong local brand that, that really has that intel um, and can maybe point you in the direction of some, some information that could be valuable in your educational process. So get educated, get prepared. That's that's key. What was your prep like for the recent compensation um negotiation that you went through? Yeah. So I, I had some hard data. I, I started off by even saying, you know, the money conversation is a hard one to have. So 
let me dive in and provide some some data for you. And I was able to put together what I currently make and as well as what I've made in the past with the, a COLA multiplier. So COLA is cost of living adjustment. And typically um, companies will pay between four and 8% a year for an annual increase. So if, if I could tell my, my uh, potential employer, you know, what I've made in the past, let's say in 2019, and then add this multiplier by the year, I would be naming what I would be making today with that multiplier. Mm. And then also for this position, you know, I'm not at a, a company where I would get stock options or RSUs and those have real, that's real money, right? That has real value. So basically I was able to put together a good five years of my compensation journey. Mm. That's great. Yeah. And I think that if you're, if you're willing to share that information, um, you know, I think in, in your case, Cynthia, you were, um, you're already there, right? So you're not necessarily looking to leap into another stratosphere compensation wise. I think that you were, you were looking to validate and substantiate that you've already achieved a certain, certain status and, and leveling, and we're looking to um, protect and, and, you know, possibly increase on that. Right. But I, I think for those that are looking to um, up level or, or dr- dramatically move the needle on that too, sometimes, um, you know, sharing what they've been earning may also be an encumbrance. Um, mm-hmm. It really, it really depends on the situation, right? Um, some people may have been in a situation where they were under market for whatever reason. And so maybe they're, they're not being as wanting to be as full kimono about the whole, um, you know, using, using past income to substantiate their ask. So I think you have to just really look at that too. I agree. Yeah. Because sometimes you're, you haven't been compensated for the work that you're doing and that's where, you know, talking to other EAs or recruiting agencies to understand, you know, what responsibilities that you've had in the past and what you'll be taking on in the future and what the worth and value of your, the nature of your work does, right. uh, does or, provide for. Totally. Or you're coming from a different market and, you know, that the market that you're coming from is a market that pays 30% less than a local market. But I, I think that the the point that you make around really understanding the total package is incredibly important here. And and I have to say, you know, it's it's it really is vital that those who are entering into these conversations take take the time to really unpack that. Because compensation is one thing, but to your point, you know, is there a bonus involved? Is there overtime involved? Is there uh, medical benefits currently being offered, or are, are there medical benefits currently being offered? Are they offered at a hundred percent of the premium cost paid, or is it a percentage? And how does that factor in if you add in dependents or spouses or, or people like that? So, really taking the time to understand um, where there may be differences or computational trade-offs is really important because that also needs to factor into. It could potentially factor into your ask. And also it might, it might work in the reverse, right? So maybe, you know, you're comfortable taking less on a base comp because the company is making a, a better offer with regard to, 
the medical or their 401k match is significantly richer than where you are currently and that's meaningful to you. So I think really understanding all the different components is is critical because that indicates what levers you may or may not have available to pull. And I think you also need to know what your value system is, right? Because you know, if you're not somebody that particularly cares about certain things or on the flip side you care immensely about certain things, then you really need to probe and, and find out what what is the detail around those things. I agree. I think you have to be honest. Like you have to do some deep soul soul searching and know your number and know your package and know your deal breakers and um, really hone in on that information. Yeah, agreed. So in situations where you are not doing this on your own. So uh, for instance, if you are um, being represented by an agency, right? Like, like someone like us, or perhaps it's somebody that has introduced you through their network, or there's a little bit more of a, um, of a personal connection. How do you recommend that an individual partner or strategize with, let's say it's an agency counterpart? Um, how would you recommend that they really get the most out of that representation? Well, I think you and I are a perfect example, right? (laughs) On so many levels. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, we had a lot of honest conversations and you knew exactly what I was looking for and you were able to help me articulate it better. And, um, with that, you you knew what my deal breakers were and and some of the areas that I needed to have met. You know, for example, I needed to have a 401k. That was really important to me. So I I feel that together, you know, we we partnered really well to make all this happen. And I and I think part of it begins with again being honest like knowing really as a candidate, like you mentioned, what are your values and what is it that that you need from this position? I, I, I love that. And I, I agree that I think going into this process, Cynthia, you were really clear. And <clears throat> I would encourage everyone who's going into a, a job well, not even just the negotiation. Let's let's rewind. Let's let's say anyone who's going into interviewing really needs to be clear on what their criteria are and what's meaningful to them, because it it can get really frustrating and exasperating for you as the individual, and also for anybody that's trying to help you if you don't know what you want. Um, because what what do you do with that, right? I mean, it, it's <laughs> that conviction and that clarity is is really powerful. So I think getting that clarity yourself, first and foremost, is is number one. But to your point, the reason why I think we could work well together is because you you really nailed, like you, you laid it out for me and you said, you know, Jessica, these are the things that I care about. These are the things that I need. And I think when you have a good advocate that's willing to to speak on your behalf, it that's 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 what an advocate needs to know, right? It, it's tell me what you want and and I'll help you actualize that. So you being really clear on that makes makes it um, a lot more realistic to be able to have those those dialogues. 
I think the other part of what I would recommend, you know, having having worked in this agency world for quite some time is also just, you know, building the kind of relationship with your uh, recruiter or, or agent or whoever's working on your behalf to where they really understand what your um, what your boundaries are and kind of where your line in the sand is. Because I think that that kind of clarity, and again, we're using that word a lot, but I think it really does start with that. That kind of clarity really helps in the negotiation process. Because if, if we as an agency can say, you know, hey, whoever, client, you know, if you make this offer at this at this price point, you know, you're you're going to lose this individual. And I can tell you because of X, Y, and Z reasons, you know, that, that they're, they, you run the risk of offending them. You run the risk of, of, you know, turning them away and having them accept something else. So really being able to spell out those consequences is, is really important too as a negotiation tactic. And again, I think, you know, you having a transparent and forthcoming, um, relationship with that agency partner allows for that to happen. You know, they're, ultimately you want to find somebody who you feel like really aligns to you and, and really does and is invested in, you know, the, the right outcome for you. Yeah. You, you're taking the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say we were completely aligned. Every conversation you and I had um, just help manifest this opportunity. Yeah. And I, I, I think that that's, that that possibility of you know um alienating talent when you put a figure in front of them that's not in line with with what their expectations are is very real and i i i think back to you know how we opened this conversation where you mentioned there was a a boss that you know made you kind of a, a low ball offer and you were offended and, you know, who knows, like maybe present day Cynthia, um, maybe present day Cynthia would still negotiate. I don't know. But maybe present day Cynthia would say, gosh, like, you know, I'm I I don't even want to, um, you know, I don't want to put up with this. Like, I know what I'm worth and I'm out of here. You know, like so there's just there's there's a lot of ways that negotiations can go south. And, and I think, you know, just really honoring um, what the needs are of that individual is super important. What tips and tricks do you have up your sleeve? And, you know, we're, we're saying women, um, but really, I mean, this is, I think, historically, there's a lot of statistical evidence to suggest that, that women in particular um, often struggle with this. But clearly, everyone and anyone could benefit from um, being more comfortable in a negotiation seat. So, uh I'm curious, you know, what tips and tricks you would have for really anyone, woman or whoever, um, who doesn't enjoy these conversations. How can they? How can they ease their nerves? How can they feel better um, and and more prepared so that they don't worry about losing ground in a situation like this? There's a Cornell study that says that men often overestimate their qualifications and their ability and women often underestimate you know our actual qualifications and and performance ability and the the real gap is the level of confidence 
And the only way that you could feel confident doing something is practice. Mm. You know, it's, it's rinse, you know, wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. (laughs) You just have to, you have to keep doing it no matter um, how much your voice shakes, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg would say, Mm. or, um, you know, even watch women who are in really tough situations and how they speak and how they carry themselves. And you know that their heart's probably racing that's probably the last place that they want to be at the moment. And, but somehow they've drum up enough confidence to, to go forward and have those tough conversations. You know, I tell, I've, I've got daughters and I tell them all the time, you have to go out and have those tough conversations. And it starts with just saying, this is a hard conversation to have, Hmm. like name it. Mm -hmm. And, and then, just say, you know, most people aren't comfortable talking about money, but here we go. Yep. Yep. I, I love that. And I, I think it's so tempting to look at someone who's really good at something and say, oh, well, they're just good at it, or they're just a natural, or they just have that capability. And I, I think more often than not, there's a whole lot of sweat and private <laughs> salt, like private solo work that goes into that manifesta- manifestation and illusion of uh, just seamless, you know, perfection. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of clunking away on the piano and getting the wrong notes and hitting the wrong tunes and fumbling the balls and stuttering on your words. There's a lot of that. So I think to your point, you know, be just get cut yourself some slack and but also know where you need to work. And so if you need to put in some reps to get comfortable, then put in those reps because the stakes are really high. They're super high. They are. You're you're saying exactly what needs to be done is make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Don't and own it, right? Mm-hmm. And laugh at it and and just keep going and, and trying again because it's worth it at the end. You're worth it. Yeah. Yes. I think that's who has that as a slogan. You're worth it. Isn't that, it's not Maybelline. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you. recruiting. You're worth it. So get comfortable and practice. Um, what else? What else should people do? Get your facts, you know, do your homework. Um, talk to other people in the interview process, you know, going through the same thing. It's, uh, I think that's where humility comes in, Hmm. you know, that, you know, I'm really struggling with this. What have you done in the past? Or, you know, what do you plan to do? Or have you had this experience? You know, put yourself out there and have, have these conversations with other people to, to stay curious, you know, keep learning. Yeah, absolutely. And also it just feels good, right? Like when you, have been hesitant to do something and maybe you're kind of on the fence and you're hemming and hawing, you're not sure if it's going to go in your, in in your favor. And then you make a good case for yourself and you're rewarded with, you know, um, whatever, an increase in salary, a promotion, a raise, whatever the case may be. How validating is that? Right. I mean, (laughs) like it's, it's so energizing. It makes you feel like what's next? Like, what can't I do? You know, it's, it's, I think everybody is entitled to, to that kind of 
that kind of feeling and that kind of recognition. Yeah, I think I'd be proud of yourself. Yeah, yeah. So we've we've talked a lot about, you know, negotiating in the context of um, a new job, right? And, and a salary. But sometimes you're not just negotiating in an interview process. You might actually need to negotiate when you are already in a role. So maybe it's a situation where you want to approach your boss for a raise or you're trying to make some kind of argument for a, one of these COLA increases that you referred to earlier. Um, how would you recommend something uh, like this? Or, or does your advice change at all in a situation like this? I think it's it's generally the same advice, except you have more resources if you're already at a company. Like you've, you're surrounded by peop- your biggest fans, right? And you have an HR business partner who really wants to help you out and probably has a ton of information and understands the inner workings of the company. And that's where you have to do your homework and be, you know, super prepared to meet with, with your executive um, armed with information. Right. And, and again, you want to approach everything like you're the scientist and staying curious and you want to have a deeper understanding of, of, what you're going into and what the possibilities might be. So companies typically have leveling, right? And and executives assistants who are individual contributors, um, typically they're not considered managers or director level or C-level. Um, they might be at a level five or something like that. And there's a salary range at all these different levels and an um, amount of stock that you could get. There's um, an area where you peak hmm. and you have to understand that and talk to your HR business partner and, and see, you know, how, how can you progress in your career? What skills do you need and how do you go about getting those skills? And it could be as simple as, you know, if you need project management skills or if you need leadership skills, Put yourself out there, you know, find those projects that you can do and and you could lead. It could be something as simple as an ERG, like an employee resource group or rally a team together to, you know, do a fundraiser bike ride. I did that at Palm mm. when I worked at Palm. Um, just continually put yourself out there and get exposure. Don't just, I guess nowadays work from home. Don't just sit at your desk. But um yeah. Have your put your have yourself be visible within right. the company as well as working with your HR business partner to understand, you know, what options you really do have. Own your career. Yeah. You know, it's it it is yours to drive. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the idea of thinking of your colleagues and your your leadership team and managers as your biggest fans. I, I think that that really puts a very different spin on on the ask when you view people as your allies and fans versus, you know, your whatever of adversaries. And it, and it's true, you know, you have a track record and, and hopefully um, if you're, if you're asking for an increase, it's because you have made some really positive contributions. So it's, it's a great time to recap and, and share those and talk about that. Yep, Absolutely. What are some common challenges that people should anticipate? 
Well, in the ideal world, your boss just thinks that you're amazing and, and he gives you, gives you whatever you ask for. But um, sometimes it's budget related, right? And, and there's not money in the budget to pay that salary increase. And luckily, most EAs are, have a deep understanding of what the organizational budget is and how much money is allocated for headcount and what the open headcount is, you know, mm. who are you looking to hire? And, um, and you also know what your fiscal year is, you know, sometimes it's a calendar year, sometimes it's February to, to January. I mean, every company has their own fiscal year. So I, I think, um, can I mind if I give an example? I would love an example. Okay. So let's say, let's say you're making a hundred thousand dollars and you, um, through your research, you revealed that your responsibilities could render $120,000. So you're asking for a $20,000 increase or 20%, right? And for this example, we're going to say that it's September and you have a calendar fiscal year from January to December. So there's only four months left in the year Mm -hmm. and you know your budget deeply. So there's one month in Q3 and three months in Q4 that um, money's been allocated already towards headcount, like your budget's already made. Well, there's likely some money there because of open headcount positions that will not get filled. Mm-hmm. And if if you divide the twenty thousand by twelve, it's roughly um, seventeen hundred dollars a month. Or in these four months, it would only equate to seven thousand dollars. So you could easily find seven thousand dollars this fiscal year to to. Uh, have your raise implemented immediately. And I think your boss would be very impressed that you would put together the numbers like this and you found the money for him. So the the job is, as all EAs know, is you make things easy for other people. So you do the work for your boss and show him where the money is and him or her, excuse me. Um, And if your boss still um, resists, I would push for a spot bonus. Or, or some sort of incentive money that um, will compensate you for your efforts and show show that you are valued and and put uh, an invite on the calendar that you do want to have this compensation um, discussion again at the next performance cycle. Like stay on it, don't give up. Yeah, absolutely. Don't 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 be complacent. Like you said, you know, earlier is own your career. And I love this example. And it, I think it's just it, it goes to show you there's just so many ways to um, make this argument. You know, I, I think you're the, the example you gave is approaching it in a really um, methodical, analytical, informed um, sensible, logical, I mean, you're really appealing to their reason, but you're also appealing to um, your understanding of their budgetary constraints and, and you know, um, their, your understanding of, of um, the, the resources that they've utilized. I mean, that, that's a really sensible, smart way of going about it. There's also, you gave an earlier way of, of approaching it, which was really speaking to your accomplishments and your track record and, and your value. I mean, there's, there really are so many ways and maybe you do a combination of the things, right? But the point is, I think preparation and really reflecting and, and creating a, a case and an argument that um, makes sense to their decision-making style. And keep it easy. 
right? Yeah. Keep it as simple as possible. Yeah. Make it an easy yes. So, okay, let's have some fun with discussing what not to do because there's there's also some things you don't want to do. So what should we avoid doing, Cynthia? Um, well, I think in any relationship, <laughs> especially <laughs> especially a career, you know, uh-huh. boss-employee relationship, you, you just don't ever want to give an ultimatum. They're, they just, they don't work. And this relationship is way too critical. And, and this is one that you're going to have throughout your entire career. I could go back 20 years to, and talk to people that um, I've worked with and, and knit this whole quilt together of people that I've known from one job to the next and, and weave it all together. So you never want to jeopardize that by giving an ultimatum. And I think the second is you don't bring in your personal financial needs. Mm. It doesn't really, you know, you're not going to get a raise because you need a new car or because your rent went up. So I, th- I think it's super important to stick to stick to the business, right? Uh, stick to the facts, like what are the market rates and, and what is your particular performance at work? Yeah, that makes 100% sense to me. Um, stick to the facts. Yeah. And keep it in the business, in the business context. I I would also say in this, I just, I've noticed this not, you know, not work, um, too, is don't give people an out, you know, like if you say things, I think it's really and this again, goes back to the very beginning of the conversation about feeling awkward or uncomfortable or, um, undeserving or, you know, that, that you're being boastful or whatever, but, when people give people an out, right, and they say things like, um, "I'm really like to see six figures," you know, I'm, 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 I'm aiming for six figures, or you know, my my ask is six figures, and then they say, "But I'd also take high five figures," you know, it's like <laughs> you you immediately undermine whatever lofty you know declaration you just made with that little inner child voice that says, but no, you shouldn't really ask for that much because it's not polite and it's rude and it's demanding and it's boastful. So I really, I think that just don't shoot yourself in the foot and know when to just zip it, you know, and let them respond. Part of negotiating is also just not over talking. I feel like executive assistants are particularly well prepared um, because of the nature of the work that they do. I'm curious if you, as you know, a career executive assistant, if you feel like EAs are potentially better prepared than others to enter into these conversations, and if so, you know how how is that the case? Yeah, I think I mentioned it earlier when I said, you know, own your own career, and I got that advice from um, a VP of people at at one of the companies I worked at. She, she looked at me and said, you know, you own your own career. And I don't know why it surprised me, right? It, it was just something, I guess it's something that you know, but you have to be reminded of. Mm. And it was literally, you know, that that nudge that gave me the courage to really take responsibility and act with some intention and and be my own advocate. And that's where being an EA all you do is advocate for others. You know, you're working cross-functionally throughout the company on behalf of your executive and other people in your organization. You wake up every day uh, with the sole intention of 
supporting someone else's success. And I think it's okay to use some of that superpower to support your own success and be your own best advocate. That's beautiful. I, I love that. That is such a clear and beautiful statement. Okay. Now the real last question. If you could support anyone throughout the course of history, who would you choose to support and why? It's a solid tie between Tom Hanks if you're listening, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and, uh, and Richard Branson, um, mm. I, I just think, you know, obviously two very different people, but um, I feel like the, the commonality there is that their bodies of work are very inspiring and, and they've uh, reached great heights of success, yet they still have seemed to maintain a sense of humility and um, focus on doing really good acts, you know, beyond themselves and, and reach out to do some global good. Mm. And, um, yeah, that really resonates with me. Good answers. Well, Cynthia, I love this conversation. I think there's going to be a lot of good outcomes that come from this. Uh, and hopefully this is the encouragement that some people need to kind of get off the sidelines and, and either that or, or just feel more prepared, you know, going into um, a job process or an interview process or negotiation. So I think everyone's going to get 20% or more. <laughs> what, what do you think? <laughs> I like it. Well, I- yeah. Please tag us or send us some kind of indication if you put this advice into practice and it got you somewhere. We would love to know about that. But um, wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Cynthia. It's been, as always, every time I speak with you, a pleasure. Thanks so much, Jessica. I feel the same way. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrep.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.